0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: Hey guys, it's Gabi, and welcome to What's Gabi Cooking in the Wild. We got a little bit of a facelift. If you're new here, I'm Gabi. I'm the founder of What's Gabi Cooking, a best-selling author, and now a podcast host. What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild, which is the latest version of my podcast, is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry, and more. I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people and highlighting super cool small companies from the food world, so let's get right into it. This is What's Gabi Cooking in the Wild. Hi, guys. Happy Monday. We have one of my favorite people here today, Adina Sussman. She is a badass recipe developer. She co-writes tons of incredible cookbooks that you guys are all very familiar with. And she just published her own book a year ago, which blows my mind because honestly, it just feels like it came out six months ago. But what is time anymore? Days don't matter. Who is 2020? Anyways, she's here on the podcast to talk all about recipe development, co-writing, authoring a book, her life in Tel Aviv, and all the incredible Israeli food she makes. She is truly one of a kind, so good at her job. And I could listen to her talk about living in Israel all day long. So Put your hands together for Adina. If you don't follow her already, you're about to be obsessed. Adina, thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to have you on the podcast and get to hang out. Thank you for having
0: me. I'm a super fan and we've become friends over the interwebs. And so it's so nice to spend an hour talking in person. And I'm in California, so I'm on the same time zone, which is for me unusual.
1: I know. We are California girls through and through today, and I am a huge fan of you. I don't even remember how I first heard about you. It might have been through Matt and Adam, but for those of you who don't know about Adina, you're about to learn everything about her. She is an incredible recipe developer. You're a cookbook author. You're just like an overall food badass, and I want everybody to know about you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh my God. That's a lot of pressure to be. No, (laughs) no, you are. You You also
1: live in like you live in my dream city of eating. Like I'm dying to get over to Tel Aviv and eat my way through the city and Israel. And like, I just want to eat. Your food just speaks to my soul. So. Thank you.
0: Well, we are waiting for you once all of this Corona craziness is over. I'm so excited to shuttle you around the Carmel market and Take you out to eat and make you dinner. So,
1: when I, I will eat all the things, I'll work out extra <laughs> hard before I get on the plane so I can really go to town. So, so tell everybody how you got into the food world. Well, I always wanted to go to
0: go culinary school, but I'm a little bit older than you, Gabby. And when I was graduating from high school, going to culinary school was sort of the equivalent of going to like vocational school. It was sort of like if you couldn't get into college, like you would go to culinary school. It was not the option that it is now like for kids to go right out of high school to school and you know then it was considered sort of like a second tier option which I never agreed with, but you know I was a good student and I went straight to college and after college I actually moved to Israel for 5 years which a lot of people don't know because I lived in New York for 20 years and it was there that I sort of an inkling that I might want to work in the food world because I was shopping in the open-air market in Jerusalem, which is called Machane Yehuda Market, and really understanding like seasonal cooking at an early time when that was not quite as sort of standard as it is now. And then when I moved back to the United States, I started freelancing, doing some writing for publications like Time Out New York. And then I eventually Got a job at Gourmet Magazine, which was just a huge stroke of luck for me. I got into the food world at around age of 30 and I got a job there as a copywriter and really learned how food publishing worked from the inside at one of like the greatest publications that I just felt so privileged to work at. And so I worked there for a few years. And I was doing actually marketing copywriting and working with people who were selling advertising in the magazine to help them create like fun programs for advertisers. And we did photo shoots and I got to travel to Spain and Italy for work, which was, this was like the heyday of of publishing. Yeah. So yeah, I went to Italy for, I went to Italy for Barilla Pasta and I went to Spain for wines from Spain and just did some really cool stuff. And then I really decided that I wanted to be cooking and getting my hands dirty every day. So I left Cormier and traveled for a while. And then I went to culinary school um, in New York City at the Institute for Culinary Education. And I've been working for myself, wearing many, many hats since then, which is about 15 years ago. So that's kind of the short (laughs) answer uh, or a long answer to a short question. But once I got out of school, the first major break that I had was um, I was lucky enough to meet Ellie Krieger, who at the time had a show on the Food Network about healthy cooking. And I was uh, able to collaborate with her on her next four cookbooks as a recipe developer. So that was really where I learned. So many things in the food world for me were like, that's a job. That's a wow, job. Really? Yeah. You know, and even <laughs> recipe, recipe developing was one of those things that... I wasn't quite aware, you know, food media was exploding and a lot of people needed help developing content and recipes for books. And, you know, so I was lucky enough to get in with Ellie and from there I started working with other people and continue to write and just decided to try to do every single thing that I could do until I really figured out exactly what it, I wanted to be when I grew up. And I'm still trying to figure it out, but <laughs> I got closer when I discovered cookbook writing so that's that's where I eventually landed
1: so let's talk about that let's talk about you know like your role as a recipe developer and all that kind of stuff and then I want to talk about your new book but when you're working with an author on a book how hands-on are you like how like are you together all the time do you email every day text like what's kind like how does the progression of writing a cookbook work when you're doing that
0: So we're talking right now, I'm at Chrissy Teigen's house and I'm about to start working with her on her third book. And when you ask how hands-on I am, I'm so hands-on that I live with them (laughs) in their home. (laughs) So when we work on a book together, so I'm a very immersive uh, kind of a person and, you know, working with Chrissy is super fun and we do everything together in the kitchen. We cook together, prep together, taste together, adjust together, text all the time, brainstorm day and night about recipes. And, you know, so that is, you know, one, one extreme. And then I was very fortunate, for instance, with Ellie Krieger, we both lived on the Upper West Side of New York and we were neighbors. So for the first book, um, we did a lot of the cooking together. And then for moving on from there, we would cook together sometimes, sometimes sometimes she would cook and bring it over to my house to taste, and then we would, I would adjust and t- make it again. And it was sort of like a cross-testing collaboration exchange that was going on all the time. So it really can run the gamut. Um, there are some books that I've done where I, don't want, I won't name names, but um, I've done you know, the lion's share of the cooking and developing, which is totally fine.
1: So long as you're compensated. <laughs>
0: And I am.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Properly, so, properly um, compensated. Yeah, you know, it is a business. And, you know, I think we should talk about that too, because so many people are interested in getting into this line of work. And I think, you know, it's a great place for women to like establish a business and run their own business and, you know, get paid. So like, yeah. that's just, that was something else that really appealed to me about it. And you're like a huge role model to me, by the way, about the way you run your business. So thank you. So yeah, so it really can vary. The most important thing when you're when I'm co-authoring a book is that I really feel like a vibe with the person that I'm writing with. I've become pretty good friends with a lot of the people that I've co-authored books with or at least when I, you know, we have like a mutual respect and really high comfort level with one another. I mean, you know, when you're writing someone's book, you're basically inhabiting their personality and palette and you need to learn how to do that in a way that's like respectful, but got to get in there and like really go deep with somebody. So that's like been a fun part of my work. Um, I've written books with uh, Candice Candace Nelson, who developed the Sprinkles Cupcakes brand. So we wrote her book together. And I've written two books with Lee Schrager, the founder of the South Beach and New York Food and Wine Festivals, and Chrissy and a lot of other books too. And I think I can safely say that I just like, I really like all of my co-authors, And that is something, you know, Although I'm lucky that they chose me, like there is a certain amount of deciding, like you're gonna go into a project with someone that's gonna take a year, and like you really need to, to click with that person.
1: and The Birds Maya on Instagram as well. Can't wait to see you next week. Yeah, I mean, it, and, it, and all those people you mentioned that I've done books with in the past, Ellie included, like these people all have very different brands. Like you have to be so A, an incredible chef, like cook. You have to be really good at it and B, like you have to be so adaptable because Ellie's book and Chrissy's books are not even remotely in the same, you know, genre. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, the most fun thing about co-authoring is how much I learn because I get to work with people from a huge variety of cuisines and backgrounds and, you know, even culinary levels, you know, I'm learning from my authors as much as they're taking away from working with me. Like, I, you know, working with Ellie, I learned so much about how to develop lots of flavor without tons of fat and, Mm -hmm. you know, and tons of sugar. And, um, with Chrissy, you know, just like super, super focused on like flavor at all costs, basically. And, you know, and working, getting to work on Lee's books, I got to test and adapt like hundreds of, you know, chef recipes for everyone from like hole in the wall restaurants to Michelin star places. So really runs the gamut. And that's what I love about what I do is, you know, obviously now when I'm writing my own books, you know, I get to, I'm learning in a different way, but co-authoring is something that I still love to do. And I learn so much all the time.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about Sababa because it is hands down one of the best books I've ever read in my entire life. The recipes are so perfect and the photography is amazing. I love listening to your voice on every page. Like it's perfection. You I th- it was Cookbook Club months ago, Like, you guys, it's amazing. It's so good. you need it if you don't already have it. How long did that process take?
0: i It took about a year and a half of just really concerted work. I mean, I think it was a book that I kind of was in the making my whole life because I have a really long history with Israel, both like personally through my family and upbringing and also professionally um my parents actually were living in Israel for a year before I was born and I was almost born there my dad no was way. Post- my, I grew up in Palo Alto, California but my dad um was a physicist and was doing postdoctoral work in Jerusalem so cool. if we had stayed two two months later I would have been a natural born uh, dual citizenship <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it took a long time for that to happen I I eventually I now I'm a dual citizen but um yeah so we grew up going there and, you know, I had my first falafel in Israel at age nine and just went back on like a teen tour. And I spent a gap year there between high school and college and then lived there after college. And also as my, you know, I, I did also spend about a decade as a more of like a food writer, culinary journalist writing for all the different magazines like, you know, Food and Wine and Connie Nast Traveler and the Wall Street Journal. And I, you know, as my career progressed, so did modern Israeli cooking. and I sort of developed a bit of a specialty writing about it and never really stopped visiting Israel. I was always living in New York, but spent a lot of vacations there and um, have friends there. So it was always a really comfortable landing spot for me. And then I met my husband Jay about six and a half years ago um, when he was in New York and he lived in Tel Aviv. So I moved there about four, four and a half years ago. And I had an agent. Um, I think we we had the same agent, Janice Dennis? Yeah.
1: Oh my god, I love Janice.
0: She's I a love boss. Too. I'm obsessed with her. <laughs> She's amazing. Yeah. So she really encouraged me to uh, write the Sababa proposal, and I had felt uncomfortable writing a book about a place that I wasn't living, and now that I was finally living there, it just all the pieces kind of fell into place and. Um, I was lucky enough to get an offer from Avery Books, who bought my book and came out September 3rd, 2019. So just a little bit more. Oh than my that.
1: God, it's a year old already? I know, isn't that great? Well, what a year it's been. It's like, well, yeah, I guess 2020 is a wash.
0: Sometimes <laughs> it feels like, you know, a day ago. And then other, it's like, you know, in dog years, like
1: 9,000
0: years, like so much has happened.
1: Wow. I don't even know how that makes me feel. The fact that it was a year ago, I first got my hands on it longer, actually. So the recipes that are in the book are, A, hey, who, sh- who photographed it? So I worked
0: with an Israeli creative team. I felt really, you know, I've, I've been really lucky to work with some really amazing American food photographers through the books that I co-authored. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge fan of of them. And a lot of people assume that I would sort of import somebody to Israel or do the shooting in New York. But because I'm American, and even though I have like a lot of experience with Israeli food and like a fairly decent level of knowledge, I felt like working with an Israeli photographer and stylist uh, was really going to, just add that granular Israeliness that I probably will never accomplish, even if I live there till I die. So, you know, just all those little gut checks about ingredients and, and also having Israelis taste all my food, which some of the recipes to them were just so, you know, unhurt. Like the way that I use Israeli ingredients to sort of do different things was the whole idea behind the book. And, you know, I think when you're a bit of a culinary and cultural outsider, where it's really helpful as a recipe developer because you see things through fresh eyes, you know, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just seeing regular uses. So I worked with a guy named Dan Peretz, who is a pretty well-known food photographer in Israel. Now, mind you, Israel's whole population is 10 million people. It's like basically the size of New York City. Wow. (laughs) So, and Nureet... Kariv is my stylist. Um, I'm working on another book, by the way, that could follow up to Sababa so we could talk Uh, about that later.
1: Amazing. When's that going to come out?
0: That's coming out in, as you know, the book process takes a long time. So I'm going to deliver the manuscript over the summer and then it'll come out a year later. So it's coming out in fall, I think in fall of 2022.
1: Amazing. Oh, perfect.
0: So they're great. And we've actually done because Israel is so seasonal. Like literally if you want to shoot something with blueberries, you can only get blueberries in Israel three weeks out of the year. So we did do some shooting over the spring and summer. So I have a a little bit of work already under my belt. Um, and I'm just kind of, you know, put it on hold to come here and work with Chrissy. And then when I go back to Israel in December, I'm going to pick it up and and finish over about another seven or eight months.
1: Wow. Oh my gosh. I mean, to put on your Sababa number two hat for a couple of months this year and then come over here. There's a lot of switching back and forth. I feel like that's some real brain power. <laughs> you know, it's
0: just, I think working as a co-author, like that code switching thing comes naturally to me it. because yeah. I'm just used to like assuming a different sort of persona and, you know, learning even with myself. Like when I wrote Sababa, my main fear was like, how am I going to go from you know capturing other people's voices to really having to stand be- and step into my own voice and write this in my own voice i got i had gotten so comfortable channeling other people's thoughts and cooking styles and and you know emotions that it took me a little while to get there to sort of get into the groove of feeling confident about what i had to say and and how i had to say it and, and my writing cuz you know i love for me cooking is the natural language. And while writing is something that I enjoy and is a skill, like it comes harder to me. It doesn't come as naturally as cooking. Like Mm -hmm. some people, the writing is easier and the cooking is harder for me. The cooking is just kind of flows out of my fingertips more easily.
1: Yeah. I'm the same way. My writing is just like stream of consciousness. Like I'm not an incredibly articulate writer, nor will I ever be. That's not what I want for myself. Well, but like I write exactly how I speak. Like I could never write for Gourmet or any of these like incredible magazines when they were in their heyday. Like I'm just not eloquent enough for that, but that's okay. Like that's my brand. I just speak how I would talk to you. And while if you were in my kitchen hanging out with me.
0: Well, that really comes through what I love your, when you post on Instagram, I definitely feel like we're having a conversation and The writing is so inviting, and obviously, the photography is so beautiful and so important. Like, just more and more so, it just you have to have that image to go along with the recipe. Like, it's not even an option to not have a photo with every recipe in a cookbook (laughs) anymore.
1: Well, I mean, the photography and styling is all Matt and Adam. such a dream team and I love them so much one day when we're all like allowed to be social we need and you're in Los Angeles we should all have dinner in my backyard or their backyard or something like that because I feel like I would probably just end up like spitting out my wine all night because they seem like so funny
0: and fun so I'll have to pre-drink
1: there would be a lot of wine drinking. Let's do it when I'm not pregnant, because I would really like like some wine, just like ivied to my arm. <laughs> oh my gosh! So tell us about some of the recipes in Sababa. What are your favorites? It's the worst question in the world, I know, but like, I want to know what you're like. What are the ones that really speak to your soul?
0: The book I you could sort of divide it into a few categories. There's sort of the staple items of Israeli cooking and Middle Eastern cooking. And also I have to say that the term Israeli cooking is, is, you know, it can be a charged term because a lot of people, you know, argue that Israeli cooking is, has, you know, origins in Palestinian cooking and in Mm -hmm. other countries in the Middle East. And it's true. There's, Israeli cooking is really a fusion of a lot of different cultures. I think modern Israeli cooking has its own characteristics and qualities, but it is true that a lot of the base sort of like recipes like hummus and falafel and shawarma have their roots in other countries in the region. So that's just mm-hmm. something I always like to acknowledge and talk about. And even the word sababa comes from an, a, an Arab word, sababa, which means sort of like yearning and longing. longing. And then Hebrew has come to mean like everything's cool and everything's awesome. So Israeli food and Israeli culture is, is a mix in a melting pot of about a hundred different ethnic and religious and cultural groups that live in Israel. Mm-hmm. So I definitely covered the standards. Like I have amazing falafel recipe and homemade pita and these crispy eggplant steaks from this amazing uh, street food place in Tel Aviv called Hakosem and hummus and all those kind of things. Hummus, by the way, is hummus for those of you who don't yes. pronounce it the Israeli way.
1: <laughs> I love it. I will eat it all day, every day. In in pa- by the pound, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's good for you and baby. It's got lots yeah. of good, you know, protein, carbs, um, especially if you put a lot of good tahini in it. Yes. So yeah. So what I wanted to do with the book was sort of introduce people to all of this sort of staple flavors and condiments of not all, but you know, my favorites from from the sort of culinary canon of the area, and then show people how to use them. Yes. In some of the traditional ways, but really what I, what I really try to do is if you're going to buy or a bottle of pomegranate molasses or make your own, like you don't want that to languish in your pantry or in that side of your fridge, you want to use it up. Like, I don't like, I'm always trying to just get through stuff in my fridge. So, you know, I have an amazing recipe for slug, which is a Yemenite hot sauce that has Cilantro and parsley and garlic and chilies and a little bit of cardamom and black pepper, and it's just super bright and herby. And it's typically used um, as a condiment on falafel bars and, you know, in in sandwiches. And I use it in a lot of different ways in the book. Like I stir it into salad dressings, and I have a schlug marinade and mint marinated lamb chops. So that's just sort of an example. And then tahini is like another thing that you know we we have we think we know all the ways to use it, but there are so many fun things to do with it. And as a recipe developer, I kind of look at like the flavor and the texture of an ingredient and how it works chemically and then try and use it in lots of fun ways. So I have a really delicious um, tahini caramel tart in the book that's kind of like a chocolate shortbread crust and it has a Labané whipped cream with it, Labané being like a strained yogurt that's kind of like these Middle Eastern version of uh, Greek yogurt. And then, you know, lots of things to do with preserved lemons and medjool dates and, you know, lots of salad dressings that have date syrup and pomegranate molasses and amazing salads because Israel is so salad forward and so many vegetables and, you know, just a lot of freshness. So I would say like some of my favorites are, there's the um, harissa honey chicken thighs, which has been like a super popular recipe where you make a sauce with honey and harissa, which is a two North African spicy paste. And you sear chicken thighs and then you use whatever seasonal fruit you have around along with sort of onion wedges and you make like a one pan dinner with it, which I know is very gobby. So <laughs> I would imagine that you would like that one. And then just lots of, lots and there's so many. It is hard to choose, like choosing your favorite children, but those are a few things that I really love. But also there's an amazing chicken wing recipe that uses sour limes, which is a Persian ingredient that Ooh. just has a really funky citrusy flavor. So I grind up the sour limes and you but you can also, I think you and I are similar. Like, you know, if you call for an ingredient that might be hard to find, there's always a swap in. So like you can just use right. regular lime, lime juice and lime zest in my recipe. And I think it comes out almost just as good. So you marinate the wings in pomegranate molasses and And these funky limes with all kinds of spices like turmeric and garlic and cumin. And then they develop this amazing crust that has like a sweet and tart flavor profile. They're just so addictively delicious. I love them.
1: Those need to be in my face within 24 hours. (laughs) They sound so good. And I do love that when you buy a pomegranate molasses, they're really great quality tahini. And not all tahini is created equal you got to get the good stuff. But when you're calling for these things in your recipes, they're going to show up throughout the book too. So I love that you have lots of different ways to use them so they're not just sitting in your pantry or your fridge. I think that's so important in a book.
0: The the book opens with sort of this story of me shopping in the Carmel market, which is the big open-air food market in Tel Aviv, and it I really do live there and I really do shop there all the time, so it's, you know, I really tell a very first-person story about how the market helped me sort of integrate into Israeli life and how much I learned from all the vendors and, and just cooking seasonally and shopping seasonally in the market. And just so much of what I learned about Israeli cooking came organically through being in the market and really wanted that to come through on the pages of the book. So even though the recipes, you know, are different i really worked hard to make them doable for home cooks and you know i've really been gratified to see just how many people cook from the book and and that's i think where my recipe is like i learned what the pitfalls of a recipe can be and sort of also like how to make a recipe just appeal to people so that was what i tried to do with
1: sababa um mission accomplished (laughs) thank you you're so nice Talk to us, well, talk to me about like life in Tel Aviv. How often do you go to the market? How accommodating are all the vendors and like talking about food and different ways to cook different ingredients? Like, I feel like food is just such a universal love language of people. And that's what I would imagine happening. So I would love to hear what a day to, you know, like how often do you go? How often do you see these people?
0: So I mean, my joke is that, you know, I try and touch the shook like four times a day. <laughs> like I get up, you know, I go, I go into the shook to get coffee from my favorite coffee vendor, Mickey, who grinds his own beans and is roasting and just makes the most incredible coffee. So like, I'll stop in in the morning. I like to shop in the morning cause it's really hot a lot of the year in Tel Aviv. So I like to go when it's quiet and, um, and just a little more chill and also a lot of the good produce comes in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, because I live in the Carmel market area, the, the, the shook, which is another word for like a market is, it's really like a main kind of a main drag in the area. So I will often be cutting through the shook just to get to another part of town or to make my way somewhere else. So I pretty much go every day at least once for one reason or another, it could be to grab coffee To There are a lot of restaurants in the Shook area now, like some modern and some traditional, like one of the best falafels is there, which I have very, very regularly. (laughs) And also an incredible sort of local steakhouse that uses all Israeli raised hormone-free meat to make amazing things like steaks, but also these really incredible things called Arias, which are like lamb burgers that are grilled. Inside of the pita, so that the meat cooks as the pita, which is like soaked in olive oil, gets crispy on the grill. So it's like Mm. this juicy, crispy, toasty lamb burger situation. And then the vendors, you know, what I learned to do was just kind of hang back and listen as they sold things to other people and ask a lot of questions. And it took a while for me to kind of establish myself there because, you know, I'm an American and I think that everyone assumed that I was a tourist (laughs) because. You know, even my Hebrew, well is even though I learned Hebrew growing up and speak pretty decent Hebrew, like I have a you know an American accent, and you know, I think after a while they were like, "Oh this I think this woman is like here to stay. <laughs> <laughs> She's not leaving yeah, And, you know i I sh- do shop there, so I would start to ask questions mostly, I was really interested also just in the stories of the vendors because you know the shook is about a hundred years old, um but Israel's just a Uh, Now, a a country of just super highly educated, ambitious professionals. And I wondered how many of these vendors, whose businesses are like second or third generation, like how many of their kids were going to want to take over. And the answer was not that many. So I felt like really privileged to be there at a time when I could help document the stories of the people in the market. And, you know, pepper throughout the book and in the introductions to the recipes and just in little sidebars are stories of vendors and you know, some of my favorites are the Amrani brothers, who are third-generation uh, spice vendors. Who also now have like a little gourmet shop. They sell other great things there. You know, their grandfather used to collect all the sweet peppers, and every year they would dry thousands of peppers and grind their own paprika. And you know, all kinds of amazing stories that they tell. And they have these incredible sifters that they used to sift grains, and these giant enamel bowls, just kind of in this ramshackle garden that no one ever goes into. And I just go, they always let me into the back and I just kind of like look around and always like threaten them. Like if you ever throw away these enamel bowls without asking me if I want them first, I will never forgive you. Cause to them, you know, like to us, things that are junk to other people are treasures. And, you know, so, so the stories like that, and you know, they come from different cultures, like the Amranis are Yemenite. So I asked them like how they use, you know, the Hawaii, which is the Yemenite spice blend. That's kind of like a masala and then, you know, Edgar, who is someone who sells me you know, really peak produce in season is Syrian from Aleppo, which is now obviously a place that is, you know, just had so much turmoil like with war and there isn't really a Jewish community there. So he told me the story of how his family immigrated to Israel and how he got into the produce business. So, so I learned a ton just by osmosis and also, you know, you see what, what is on sale for different holidays and not just Jewish holidays, Muslim holidays, um, and you realize how sort of multicultural the, the shook is when, when it's um, Ramadan or iftar or Eid, which are, you know, Muslim holidays, a lot of the stalls are empty because a lot of the people who work in the shook are Muslim. And that was just mm-hmm. something that I really didn't know. And you wouldn't know if you didn't go there every day. So I just really love so picking up on the daily rhythms of life in the shook. And obviously also just seeing the incredible things that come in, like the, when you fresh grape leaves and, you know, Green chickpeas in their little husks that you can snack on, and you know fresh lemon verbena when it's really sunny out, and amazing figs, and just the best dark cherries that you've ever had in your life, and just you know just so many incredible things to to snack on and to to revel in. It's like sounds sounds so like, Oh my God, you know, breathy and wide eyed, but like, I really get excited still now. when I can talk about it like a few years later.
1: It sounds like an absolute dream. Is there a favorite time of the year for you in Israel? So I think, um,
0: springtime is really amazing just because, you know, there are so many amazing green vegetables that come out. And, you know, in Israel, the spring starts a little earlier than here. So already like in middle February, you've got asparagus and, wow. and other spring vegetables. And then the late summer is also really fun time. Like uh, late summer, early fall, like around Rosh Hashanah holiday, the Jewish New Year. That's kind of when... Pomegranates and figs are having their peak seasons, and um, there's still really amazing mangoes. And so it's sort of like an overlap of late summer and fall, mm-hmm. which is really fun. And then the same thing happens kind of a little later when citrus season starts. Like you've got your overlaps of pomegranates and and oranges, so you know, and avocados, which you know, we, as Americans, we take for granted that you can eat an avocado anytime you want. But, but the first time I asked for avocado out of season. I almost got eject, ejected from the restaurant you know, after asking for avocado in my sandwich. Because so, they don't import produce to Israel. like Pretty much everything that we are eating there is grown locally. And avocados from Mexico and limes from Mexico grow year-round, but that's not the case in Israel. So limes are like a precious commodity. And when they come into season, I zest them and freeze the zest. And I squeeze like... Tons of limes and ice cubes, tray them and freeze them and pop them into Ziploc bags so that, I mean, I would like to say that it's for cooking, but really
1: it's for cocktails because we have a lot of cocktails. Let's be real. We have priorities, people. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my God, you make it sound like such a dream. This might be a dumb question. Do you ever lead tours?
0: You know, one of the really amazing things about
1: Sababa was that you know I moved to
0: Israel at a time when Israeli food was really becoming popular and so many chefs and food writers were coming through Israel and I just kind of you know oh you're going to Tel Aviv call Adina. so you know I would meet people I did not give tours for money I have a close friend. Baum, who has a business called Delicious Israel, and she does culinary tours of the Shuk. And I just, it's a really small town and we all try not to step on one another's toes. So mm-hmm. I'll give tours for writers and friends like you who come to Israel, like to show them around, or I'll refer them to Imbal, you know, once in a blue moon, like if I'm participating in a program, like I'll do something for a fee, but most of the time I just do it. And I enjoy it more, honestly, if I'm just doing it for, for friends, friends, because, yeah. you know, there's something about, charging money that like that changes the relationship between myself and the vendors in the in the shook and I just always like to be a shopper like that's yeah. my I like that role of being a shopper because you know then I can you know complain if the fig on the bottom of the back <laughs> It's a little bit mushy but if I'm all of a sudden I'm you know taking people for money like I would a different kind Either. of relationship but yes, yeah, if anyone is coming to Israel just shoot me a, a DM on Instagram or write me through my site and I'll answer any questions you have and make recommendations and you know I'm trying to build out my site a little bit more to there is some content on there about the shook, but it's always changing. And right now, unfortunately, the shook is closed because Israel's is on a lockdown for 12 oh, months.
1: Wow. Has it been closed all the last eight months or just more recently? No, it closed at the beginning of April. Um mm-hmm. and then
0: it stayed closed, not for I mean, for about maybe a month. And then it reopened. Israel reopened their economy really fast. And unfortunately, there's been a, a pretty serious like second wave of COVID there. So mm-hmm. It's closed again now. I do not think it should be closed. And I wrote an op-ed for Eater, which is a culinary sort of news and site about why I felt like it was unfair to close the Shook. You can choose to distance from other people. And when you're in a supermarket, I mean, you're just stuck in there with everybody else, like touching the same carts and, you know doing all the same stuff everyone else is doing. So it seemed kind of arbitrary to me. We'll see how much longer. I think the Shook will reopen pretty soon. They can't stay, you know, it's really the culinary beating heart of Tel Aviv and it just can't stay closed for too long. People won't stand for it.
1: (laughs) Well, I can't wait till we come out on the other side of COVID because Israel is truly one of the first stops on my list of places to visit. Just listening to you talk about it, I could just, I'd not speak and listen to you talk about the, the culture and the food for hours. It's just mesmerizing to me.
0: Wow thank you i mean i 've learned so much you know i I thought I knew a lot, and then I moved there and realized like what a simpleton I was <laughs> and really just like spending all this time there and making Israeli friends and friends in the chef community and a lot of you know people who you know fly their trade on Instagram or on social media like we do like there are a lot of serious cooks over there doing amazing things on social media and they were a little bit familiar with me because of my co-authoring work and I, I made some really nice friends over there who shared a lot with me about their cultures and, and how they cook. And I just like, I love the informal nature of Israeli society. It's very uh, spontaneous. So mm-hmm. like in my joke about New York is that like spontaneity is scheduled in 15 minute increments two weeks in advance. <laughs> So like, you know, and in Israel, there's like a social contract where a lot of people don't make plans and then things just come together very organically. Like people stop by, like no one stopped by my house in New York ever. Like people are constantly stopping by. We always have food in the fridge just because people are always, you know, popping over if they're in the shook area for drinks or a snack or, you know, the house doesn't have to be spotless. Like I think a lot of Americans, we feel that we need to sort of be prepared for guests and mm-hmm. in Israel, like you're always prepared just like by being welcoming and open. And as long as you have like a bottle of wine and, you know, some crackers and cheese around, like that's enough to have people in at the house and not to worry about whether the throw is perfectly arranged over the couch or whether there are a few dishes in the sink. So like, I have really enjoyed that. And it's kind of unwound, like 20 years of New York living.
1: <laughs> oh, it sounds like it. you're living my dream life. It sounds like perfection
0: <laughs> it's pretty fun I mean not to you know I don't want to minimize like obviously everyone people get busy and we do make plans but like there is seems to be I sometimes will cook on a Saturday and like just then text people and be like I made blah 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 like come on by and like people just people somehow manage to
1: make it pop work. over
0: which is really nice which yeah. is really nice
1: Oh my gosh. Well, I cannot wait for your second cookbook. I just want to live vicariously through your recipes and pretend that I am in Tel Aviv as well.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. And congratulations on your book, which I have and it's so beautiful. Are you working on another
1: one? I mean- Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Is this breaking news here? Breaking news. Well, yeah, I mean, we're in the process of signing a contract, but I don't have a kitchen right now, so I'm not going to start developing recipes For another couple of months, like we developed Thanksgiving recipes for the blog back in July because I knew I wasn't going to have a kitchen. So like I was roasting a turkey breast and all that kind of stuff. So we'll start developing the actual book next year, probably when I actually have a working kitchen and I'm fat and nine months pregnant or who knows.
0: Well, I'm so there for your next book, for your two babies, your new cookbook baby and your baby babies. Yeah. Very exciting.
1: Popping them out left and right. (laughs) Well, it's really exciting. Oh my gosh. Well, Adina, thank you so much for being here. Tell everybody where they can find you. Your book's available everywhere books are sold and on Amazon. You're on Instagram. You have a website. Tell us all the things.
0: So everything's at Adina Sussman, spelled A-D-E-E-N-A, Sussman, and Twitter as well, although I'm really not a, a big, Twitter person. I'm really an Instagram person. And then my website, you can always send me an email and yeah. And then Sababa, you can find wherever books are
1: sold, as they say. You are a gem. Thank you. So fun. Thank you for having me. It was so nice. Oh my gosh. My pleasure. All right. That's a wrap. I am linking Adina's book and her Instagram in the show notes below. You guys will absolutely, truly, it's one of the best books I own in my entire collection. I have it out. I never even like put it away. It's always front and center. Um, I'm sure you've seen it on my Instagram before. It's like usually right behind my head. (laughs) Um, But big thanks to her for coming and I'll see you guys next week. All right, that's it for today's Web Scobby cooking in the wild. Be sure to tune in for new episodes on Mondays. And if you have any questions you want answered, give us a call at 1-888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you know a super cool small company that you want to be highlighted, let me know in the voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out my website, whatscabicooking.com. See you guys very soon.